Amen. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's preparing them for the fact that he's going to leave them. Okay, it's called the final discourse of Jesus. There's a few uh, chapters in John. And in John 15 verse 5, we read Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. How would the disciples of Jesus have understood this call for them to bear fruit? Keegan? I was thinking like, um, like these guys have been following Jesus, so they're probably thinking like, you know, bearing fruit would be doing what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, like becoming like him, um, mm-hmm. like the rabbi, you know, like the same way Jesus made disciples for mm-hmm. them to make disciples. Okay, you guys agree with that? I see some nodding. I think Keegs is right. Uh, I think when, you know, Jesus spoke with a lot of agricultural sort of metaphors and parables. So, and, um, yeah, I think Keegs is right. You know, bearing fruit. Later on, Paul in his letters would explain that bearing fruit involves becoming more like Jesus. That's the fruit of Christ likeness. Um, fruit is also associated with doing good works, but fruit is certainly associated with making disciples. Uh, new conversions. Seeking and saving the lost. Um, and then if you read the rest of the passage, you know, he goes into John 16 and then he explains that he will send the Holy Spirit who will bear witness to him and you also must bear witness because we as disciples of Jesus have the Spirit. So he's preparing his disciples to continue the work that he has been doing. Okay, that's what's going on here in John. So I want to talk this evening about bearing fruit in the form of making disciples. And we have one more midweek before Christmas. This is part one, and I'm not even sure I'm going to get through all the points tonight because we have started late. Um, and then we're going to continue in two weeks' time. And it's always important, this, you know, we as disciples are called to make disciples. And even when we study the Bible with people, we need to make it clear up front that not only are we make, we're helping them to become disciples, we are helping them to become disciple makers. And we will be looking next year, I'm not going to go into all the detail now, but next year, I'm super excited about next year. Now the leaders have had a few meetings and we're going to have a strong focus next year on um, making disciples according to the method of Jesus. Making disciples as Jesus made disciples. So today and the next midweek are going to prepare us for that, but in particular I would love us to be prepared for Christmas. You know, Christmas is not a time when we take a spiritual holiday, right? In fact, Christmas is a time and the holiday, the vacation, should be a time when we do incredibly well spiritually because we don't have all the other distractions, right? That we don't have work, um, in particular, we don't have work, and hopefully we have enough time to just do really well spiritually, have great quiet times. Uh, we're with family, we're with friends, showing hospitality, and it is a great time. The Christmas holidays are a great time to really witness for Jesus. Okay, 
So that's why, you know, the focus on this topic the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to share with you this evening, if I, if I can get to all the points, four keys to bearing fruit. And the first point is to believe. I don't have all the scriptures up there, so let's just turn to Matthew 9, please. Guys, got your Bibles, it will be great, otherwise you can just listen. Matthew 9 from verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And, you know, we read the scripture often. And I think we're all familiar with the scripture, aren't we? You know, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. But I want to ask you just to be very honest with yourself. Do you believe that that is still the case? Or was this Jesus talking back in those days to them because he was announcing the kingdom, you know, things, the church hadn't been established. Was he just preparing them in a very specific context that is no longer applicable to us? Or do you think this is still the case? How many of you really believe that this is still the case? That the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few? Hands up. Okay, we all believe that, right? That's good. So do you believe that the workers are few as well? Right, so you believe the harvest is plentiful and the workers are, are few. Now, in case they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, immediately after this, he sends them out. So clearly, Jesus is referring to them. Just in case they weren't sure who the workers were and what the field was, he said, right, I've taught you this, now you're going to go and do it. The harvest is out there, and I'm sending you now as the workers into the harvest, you know, into, into the field, to basically reap the harvest. Now let, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4, just to understand what it means to believe. If we really believe in Jesus, if we really believe that we are here to continue the mission of Jesus, if we really believe the gospel and that we should share the gospel, then we will respond in a certain way. And that's clear from 2 Corinthians 4, from verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. You know, what we've seen in the book of Acts as we go through Acts is how the apostles boldly proclaimed the truth of the resurrected Jesus. They believed and therefore they spoke. And if we truly believe that we are the few workers that are sent out to the harvest, all of you put your hands up, right? The acid test of whether you really believe is whether you speak. And the same applies to me. If, we're, if we really believe in the gospel, the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead, he is Lord and Savior of the whole world and universe, 
And he calls us to share that good news with the world. If we really believe that, we will speak about it. That was just part of the Hebrew culture. If you believed something, you showed that you believed it in your actions. And I know we've mentioned this a number of times, but I must stress this, and it's something that we must be very aware of and on our guard against. In the Western culture in particular, but I think in the world in general nowadays, we place a lot of emphasis on understanding. There's a difference between understanding and truly believing. And the biblical principle applies to us. If we, if you really believe in the resurrected Jesus, that he's Lord and Savior, it will show in how you speak about him. And the converse is true. You know, if you sit here and I'm here this evening and I do not proclaim the gospel, then I've got to ask myself, do I really believe it? But if Jesus had to speak to us, he would say, if you really believe it, you will speak about me. So I encourage us to really do an honest, hard self-assessment. You know, sharing the gospel is all about head, heart and hands. I'd love Nolene to share how she's applying that and how she reaches out to people. Probably not today because I haven't given her enough notice, (laughs) but next time. And that is so true that if we really believe and understand resurrected Jesus and how we are called to proclaim that good news, then it doesn't just sit in our heads. It moves from our head to our hearts and then we can't help but actually do something about it. You know, we heard on on Sunday, you know, Jarette and Dean shared that passage in Acts 4 where Peter and John, after, you know, facing the Sanhedrin and they just handled that situation incredibly well, highly intimidated scene, the Sanhedrin didn't know what to do. They sent them out and they called them back again and they said, we've decided basically that you shouldn't speak about Jesus. And then how did, what did Peter say? He said that, you know, who, who should I listen to? God or you? And he said, I can't help but speak about Jesus. Why? Because he believed in Jesus. And that's, that's what we read in the scriptures, that if we really believe Jesus and the gospel, we will speak about it. Get it? You know, the first key to bearing fruit is to believe. If we don't believe, and if we don't believe biblically, you know, if our belief stops in our heads and it's more of an understanding and a rational thinking process, um, if that's where it stops, we, we, we are not, we are never going to make disciples. Amen. And then the second point, so the first point is believe. The second point is pray. And we speak so much about this and I'm so pleased that as a church, we are starting to become a praying church rather than just a church that prays. Understand the difference? I, I certainly want every midweek to be a time of, of praying together. Sometimes we're going to have more time than others, and this evening I still hope we're going to break into small groups and pray through this lesson and these principles. But church, we cannot stress this enough. And I'm, I'm so pleased the way God is working, starting in the leaders group, but it's, it's really spreading throughout the church. There is... There is a conviction that I have not experienced for a long time in this church about the need to pray. And not just praying individually, but praying together. Now, you're going to hear on Sunday, and I don't want to kind of steal the thunder, (laughs) 
Jay is going to speak on the next passage in Acts 4. But essentially, Peter and John, after facing up to the Sanhedrin, they're all fired up, they go back to the church and they pray. They're praying together and they pray for boldness to proclaim the gospel. Peter and John knew that this was just the start. This was the first time they'd been arrested. They realized that they're starting to upset the Jewish leaders and they're going to need boldness and courage like never before because they had no plan to get out of town. And you read there how they were praying together and they prayed specifically for boldness. And you read that the building shook. And what happened then? They went out and they proclaimed boldly. Okay, so I think this collective prayer for courage and boldness, to believe and to speak, you know, to really believe and to proclaim the gospel is critically important. We must pray. If we do not pray individually, if we do not pray in our groups, if we do not pray as a church, we will never make an impact in the city. We will not make disciples. We will, we will not make new converts. Amen? So we've got to pray. And I, I encourage us, church, in our family groups, in our ministry meetings, let's pray. Let's make sure that we set aside enough time to pray. Always pray. And then in Colossians 4, let's, let's read that. When we did the series on Colossians, we, we paused on this scripture a lot and I referred back to it. But that was a while ago. And if you're anything like me, you've, you've forgotten it already. Amen. Colossians 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, Paul at this stage was in prison in Rome, probably under house guard. And we read elsewhere, I think at the end end of Philippians, that God answered this prayer in an amazing way. The churches did pray for Paul. And Paul ended up converting uh, members of the household of Caesar himself. Do you know how ridiculous that is? You know that he, God answered this prayer so powerfully. He converted some of the jailers, you know, his prison guards. Uh, people were allowed to visit him and every opportunity he had, he proclaimed the gospel. And he ended up converting some of Caesar's household. Prayer is powerful. You know, so what we should continually be praying about is for open doors. And I will say this until we all do this. Is that we, when we pray for open doors, God will open them. That is exactly in line with God's will. The question is, when he opens the doors, will we open our mouths? Okay, if we continuously pray for open doors, and that we will recognize the open doors, God will provide it. But I think sadly sometimes we maybe say this prayer in the morning, then we get distracted and we have all these opportunities to share with our colleagues or you know, even... Um, strangers, we get so distracted we don't even see the doors that God is opening for us. Okay, so we must pray, church, and we must pray for the right things. And then thirdly, the third key is that we must submit. And I'm talking about submitting to the Holy Spirit. Um, walking in step with the Spirit um, is really all the same thing. In John 15, this is where Jesus promises the Spirit, and that's where he says that, you know, I will send the Spirit, 
he will witness about me, and you must be my witnesses too. So our proclamation, our witness, and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. We cannot witness effectively without the Holy Spirit. And, you know, God gives us a choice. God doesn't force his will on us. And what we need to do to be really filled with the spirit of witness and to be empowered and emboldened is to hand over to him. You know, to start every day with prayer, to pray continually during the day at every opportunity. And I am increasingly praying this prayer because I need to, and it is to submit to the Holy Spirit from the moment I get up to the time I go to bed. And that does help me to see opportunities to witness. I don't always do it. I wish I could tell you that every day is awesome. It's not in that sense. But when I do it, when I remember to do it and I don't get distracted, God works. And we need to submit to the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5, verse 22 to 25. I haven't got it up there, but let me read it. I'll read from verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit... Okay, before this he speaks about the, the acts of the flesh different types of sins and disobedience. And then in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now your translation might read slightly differently that last sentence, but it literally means, um, if the Spirit is the source of our life, then let, let the Spirit also direct our course. If the Spirit is the source of our life, and the Spirit does animate us, the Spirit gives us new life. right? So the Spirit is the source of our life, therefore we must also let the Spirit direct our course. So walking in step with the Spirit is definitely the Spirit ahead of us. Okay, Living in step with the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, Submitting to the Spirit, it's definitely having the Spirit ahead of us. Okay, letting the Spirit lead us. It's not an easy thing to give up control, is it? You know, I've I've shared my sins, my sinful nature and how I struggled with this. I have struggled with authority for a long time. Um, Prayerfully, God slowly changing me, but I went through a stage, even as as a disciple, where I really struggled with authority. I just like to be in charge. Terrible. <laughs> but it's true. And I think a few of you are nodding, I notice. It's hard to give up control. You know, but to really submit to the Spirit, to be effective witnesses for Jesus, you know, to bear the fruit of new conversions, we have to, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, because He's a Spirit of witness, and because he is our personal trainer, you guys remember that, that he will put us into uncomfortable, difficult situations. Look at Paul and look at Peter and John and the other apostles in Acts. Life wasn't easy for them. He didn't give them nice, easy targets and low-hanging fruit and all the things you hear. They were just thrown into challenging situations. It's not going. It's no different from us, right? So. If the Spirit is active in our lives to put us in those situations, then He's also active in our lives to give give us the boldness and the wisdom to say what we need to say and to behave as we need to behave. Okay, so we need to submit to the Spirit. 
So, the three keys so far to bearing the fruit of making disciples, we must believe, pray, submit, and then finally, work. You know, there's some sensitivity in the broader church movement at this word. You know, especially churches with strong Calvinist roots. Now, by this stage, you know, some people might be walking out of the hall. <laughs> there is extreme sensitivity to this concept, but we must, we must get our minds right about this. Being fruitful requires hard work. It requires being intentional. It requires disciplining ourselves. It requires denying ourselves. It requires being made uncomfortable at times. It requires sometimes lack of sleep. It requires fasting. It requires prayer. And you can argue those things aren't work. Okay, but the point is, we cannot just sit back and say, you know, the Spirit's in control. Amen. Just let me know, God, when I need to pitch up. It's a partnership with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as our personal trainer, He challenges us. You know, a personal trainer, some of you guys might be a bit new to you, so let me take a minute on this. The Holy Spirit is our personal trainer. He's like the personal trainer in a gym. If after three months he's still getting you to curl five kilograms, you know, that's not really going to help you get fitter, is it? You know, a personal trainer encourages you. He spurs you on. He says, come on, you can do more. You know, we're going way past the, you know, the curling five kgs now. And the Holy Spirit is going to, he's going to make us uncomfortable at times. And just like if we want to get physically fit, it takes effort and it takes discipline for us to grow spiritually and be used by Jesus. You know, to make disciples, we, we are going to have to step out of our comfort zones. We are going to have to work. We are going to have to put in effort and hard work. You know, Jesus spoke you know, early on in that John 15 passage. He speaks about a plentiful har- harvest with few workers. Now, you know, my dad owned a citrus farm, a small citrus farm in Addo many years ago. I was, I was a teenager and I used to drive out with him. I loved it. One of my biggest regrets was that my dad sold the farm. I quite pictured myself being a farmer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, God decided otherwise. He didn't have it for very long. But I used to go out with him and I used to love you know, walking amongst, you know, the orange trees and the lemon trees. And during harvest time, when the fruit needed to be picked, the workers worked flipping hard. I, I was with them. I, was, I, I had a little bit of experience picking oranges and lemons. But these workers worked really hard. There was a certain window of opportunity. There was an open window where they needed to get all the fruit off the trees. It wasn't mechanized in any way. And I really had admiration for these guys. they get up super early in the morning. They would work until late. Now imagine a big harvest, a massive citrus farm, and only a handful of workers. It requires hard work, right? You know, that's, that's the agricultural example that Jesus is using. And you can't imagine harder work than this. So our mindset must be, church, that this takes work, right? It's going to waste us at times. We're going to be tired. Welcome to discipleship. This is this last not for sissies. But imagine if a farm owner, the owner of the farm, you know, offers you a job and he enrolls you on his farm to pick the fruit. And you decide that you're going to climb up a tree there and you sit there and you watch all the other guys picking the fruit. 
the farm owner is God. And the harvest is the world of lost people. He has enrolled us. And if we're not in the field picking fruit, what does that say about us? You know, I often use the example that, and I encourage us all, and we're not perfect. I'm certainly not a perfect example in this, but I encourage us using a sporting illustration to get in the game, not to be sitting in the crowds, looking at the game and even criticizing the guys on the field. That's not what it's about. Imagine God being the farmer, and he enrolls us, you know, to pick the fruit, but we just sit around and watch other people pick the fruit. God owns the farm, and we are enrolled. When we sign up as disciples, you know, we listen to Jesus saying that, remain in me and you will bear fruit. When we're disciples, we're in Christ, we're in the life of Christ. He says, stay in me and you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. He wants us to bear fruit and he promises us we will bear fruit. You know, what does that look like for you? I'm not at all saying now that we've got to rush off into a works mentality. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But because of God's grace and because we are saved, we gladly step up and serve God. So I encourage us all church, not just at this time of the year, but for the rest of our lives as disciples, to to really look at how we spend our time. You know, if we and I'm not saying we've got to work all the time, but if a typical day is, you know, you go to work or to varsity or to school, you don't share your faith at all, you come home, you kick your you know, shoes off and sit in front of the TV or play computer games and not use the time well to reach people in the world. Are we workers in the field? If that is typical of our lives. You know, if we look at Paul's example, we'll just read this and we'll finish up here. First Corinthians 9. And yes, Paul was an awesome disciple, and probably the greatest disciple that ever lived. But he does say to the church, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he said that because we can imitate him. He wouldn't say that I'm the super apostle, don't even try to be like me, you know. And I think sometimes we read about these, you know, the heroes, these amazingly faithful men and women in the Bible, and we think, I just can't be like that. Paul says we can imitate him as he imitated Christ. Okay. And this, this was Paul's attitude to, to ministry or part of ministry. 1 Corinthians 9 from verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." You know, so Paul often used these um, analogies, examples of athletes. Now, to be a successful athlete, whether it is running a race or a boxing match, we, we need to train hard, don't we? You know, top you know, prize-winning athletes are disciplined. They work hard. They train. They practice. You know, they sacrifice. 
So Paul says he is like that. Proclaiming the gospel was hard work for Paul. It wasn't comfortable. And it needs to be like that for us as well. You know, in Luke 9.23, we know the scripture well. That's where, you know, Jesus says that if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Now that sounds like it's a bit tough, isn't it? Uh, you know, we need to take up our cross. It's, that's hard. That, it, it requires sacrifice. It requires discomfort. I, th- I thought of two people when I was preparing this part of the lesson, and it's Shawnee and Lindsay. Um, Nolene and I spent time with them again, you know, and I, I shared a little bit of this when I came back, and we were absolutely blown away by their example. They are totally mission-minded. They have a great marriage. They have time for one another. They are amazing parents, right? They do the important things well also, but they are disciplined in their quiet times. They interact as a partnership like you won't believe. They use the evenings well. They're reaching out to people. They're spending time with the church. They're having discipling times. Now the church is on their hearts all the time. And I, I, I want to hold them up. Now, you know, Nolene and I are pretty mission-minded and you know, focused on God's church. But when, when we were there, and all we, we spoke about it, and we thought, man, these guys, they set an example for us. <laughs> you know, we can take it higher. And the thing is, they don't waste themselves. They don't burn out. That's not what I'm talking about. They are, they are healthy. They get enough sleep. But their priority is clear. You know, God first. And because God is first and they are equally committed to the mission as a married couple, um, that focus then allows them and enables them to have a great marriage and to be great parents and to be great friends and to be good church leaders, etc. When, when we have our priorities right, when, when our mindset and our worldview matches that of Jesus, things just become possible. You know, when we try to do it in our own strength, when we go through the motions, in other words, we skip the head and the heart. If it all becomes about hands and doing things, we burn out. You know, so we must, we must understand and, and believe, but then get convicted you know, in our hearts. And it needs to involve a change in priorities and a change in worldview. That we change from within. The Holy Spirit changes us from within. He's the internal engine, you know, the energy, the power. And then we do. Now then we do the hard work. Head, heart and hands. You know, that's what it takes to be, you know, a, um, a disciple of Jesus and to, and to make disciples. You know, disciples making disciples. Believe, pray, submit and be willing to put in the hard work. You know, this passage we looked at also and I'll end here, um, in, I'm getting, I think I'm getting old. Hey? Where's that? Matthew. When, when Jesus said, you know, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Now he ended up there saying, this is a, a self-fulfilling prayer. You know, you hear about self-fulfilling prophecies. You guys know what a self-fulfilling prophecy is? Okay, so an example of a self-fulfilling prophecy is that I wake up in the morning really down and believing that the day is going to go terribly. That the meetings are going to go badly and it's just not going to be a lack of day. What usually happens? It's not a lack of day, right? 
you end up going to work miserable, maybe you don't you know, interact that well with colleagues in meetings, etc., and it ends up just being a bad day. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, we imagine a, a certain future as though it's already the truth, and then our, our thoughts and our attitudes and our behavior actually brings about that future. And I think in this Matthew 9, it's an example of what I call a self-fulfilling prayer. I'm there, I'll read it now. 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's the, the, this is a kingdom come prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. When we pray that prayer, it's a self-fulfilling prayer. Because God is obviously speaking to us. You know, we might say, you know, God, how do, or Jesus, how, you know, how is your will done on earth as, as it is in heaven? He'll look at us and say, you are, you are my will on earth. When you obey me, when you proclaim, when you witness for me, that's heaven breaking into earth. That's how my will is done. And yeah, Jesus telling his disciples, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. What's he saying to them? Do you think the disciples are saying, oh, I wonder who these workers are. Let me go and pray for those dudes over there. <laughs> Jesus immediately sends them out. So this, this is for us too, that we need to ask Jesus. We need to pray that he will send us out. It's not like, you know, send Keegan, send these awesome campus guys. I'm going to pray for them that they go out into the harvest field. It's a self-fulfilling prayer. When we pray this, we we should realize, oh, I get it. This is me. You know, send me, Jesus. Give me opportunities. Amen. So that's all. Sorry, it took a little bit longer than I thought, but I, I wanted to get through the four points to give the complete picture. So um, the charge and the challenge for you guys is to please just go through this, pray through these scriptures, and I, I, I will put this on the church group. It's also recorded, so those who are not here can listen to it. And then there will be a follow-up in two weeks' time, and I would love to hear some good news sharing in two weeks' time. How's, how's that for a challenge? Okay that as we apply these principles, that we can come back and share amazing stories about how God has opened doors and how we've had opportunities to speak and to not only share the gospel with our words, but to share the gospel with our lives, that we meet new people, that we have people in our homes, that we open the Bible with some folk, with our families and our friends as we, as we go into this you know, Christmas season. Amen.